Good morning. This morning's scripture comes from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for these holy words and for this story that we get to enter with you today. And as we spend this time together in reflection upon your word and your disciples and our own discipleship, I, I know no better prayer than, than that out of the 19th Psalm that we have already heard today. And so, Lord, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. Before Eric and I got married, he rented a home in Hillsboro, North Carolina, which if you're not familiar, it's um, a sweet town that's far enough outside of Durham that it's not part of just the suburban sprawl of the, the Raleigh-Durham Triangle, but it's close enough that we got great restaurants and art exhibits and parks, and the home that he rented we loved because it was close enough to walk safely to all of that stuff. So it was this really lovely place. But upon moving in, he found that there was a small problem, which was that he had a major bug infestation. And it didn't matter how much he and I bleached and cleaned and cut back the shrubs outside of the home, the bugs just kept coming. Well, soon enough we found out that the crawl space under the home was actually permanently flooded, and the landlord just didn't really care about that. And so we realized Eric was just going to have to deal until the lease ended and he could move out when we got married. And so what we did is we kept to taking a can of bug spray everywhere we went in the house so that as they came out, we could spray. And as I tell this story, I can still smell that chemical smell. Yeah, some of you know it. It's like visceral for me. Well, the problem here is that these weren't just any bugs. They were huge 
cockroaches. Yeah, yeah. And where Eric grew up, he, he grew up a little bit further north than I did, cockroaches are only around if you leave out food or you don't maintain your property or you live near someone or in the building with somebody who does that, right? Cockroaches are a symptom that you have a larger problem going on in your property, something you should be able to take care of. And so Eric just kept thinking, I should be able to do something about this. But see, I, I was raised in the South where sometimes those things are just a part of life. So I eventually told him, I said, honey, when they get this big, they're not cockroaches anymore. We call those things palmetto bugs. And they're as much a part of life as squirrels are. <laughs> and Alexis took some time and found these cute little cartoons for us, because we all had that, ugh, when I said cockroach. So now you don't have to look at a real one. Um, but you know, they, they still were gross. Right? It didn't matter what we called them, they were still gross. But reframing it and changing the language helped take away some of the stigma that Eric was feeling. How we talk about things, it matters. Let's say you have a big presentation coming up or you're gonna go on a blind date or you're flying for the first time and you feel that churning in your stomach. Do you call that nervousness? Or are you excited? Right? It's the same feeling in your body, but how you describe it is going to change your perception of your emotional state because how we talk about things matters. And if this is true for something as silly as cockroaches and palmetto bugs and for something as daily as our emotional state, how much more so then is it true for something that matters like our faith? The words that we use to speak about what we believe and in whom we believe, they matter. And in today's scripture, we get a beautiful and wonderful statement of faith. Simon Peter makes this confession and, and he uses these words that we've used for generations. And so he says this, and I want you all to say it with me. You are the Messiah, the son of the living this is this beautiful and wonderful confession of faith that Simon makes. And he does it with such conviction that it shapes his world. And not just his world, it shapes the church, right? We are still reading it 2,000 years later. The way that Simon talked about his faith, it matters. But the reality is we're used to talking about Jesus like this 2,000 years later, right? These, this is fairly common language to us. And so I want us to take a second and dig in and understand how incredibly important it is that Simon is able to say these words about Jesus because no one is talking like this yet. No one. And so how did Simon get here? Well, Jesus has been out teaching and, and performing miracles for a little bit now. And so folks have begun to talk in the area about this rabbi who's out teaching and who he might be. There's a general acknowledgement that Jesus is some kind of prophet. They liken him to his cousin John the Baptist or to one of the Old Testament prophets. And so that's, that's what the, the general consensus is at this time about who Jesus is. And immediately before this scene that we read about today, Jesus and his disciples were in an area called Magdala, which is west of the Sea of Galilee. 
there is a large concentration of Jewish people who live in Magdala, and, and a lot of them are religious officials. And so generally, the area is regarded as a little bit more higher class, a little bit more holy. And while Jesus was there, the religious officials were questioning him, demanding an answer to this question, who are you and what authority do you have? Supposedly, these are the people who should be most adept at understanding and answering those questions. They have all the knowledge about the scriptures, and yet, because they lack conviction, they're struggling to come up with an answer. They have all the power. They have the knowledge. They have the influence. They should be the ones who are building the community of God. And yet, because they lack conviction, because they speak about their faith in terms of people and times that are dead and gone, they have no power in the present moment. They don't have clarity or conviction in their faith. Instead, what they have is ambiguity. And ambiguity breeds apathy. Contrast this with where we are today in our story. Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi, which is to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, wonderful. We have a map for you. Thank you, team. Um, So you're up there to the northeast, to the east of the Jordan River. Um, This is an area in which many more Gentile people live. They're at the base of Mount Hermon, which is this really beautiful area. There's this spring of natural water that flows to a waterfall, and then this river will eventually join the Jordan. And because of its great natural beauty and because of the people who live there, this area has become a site for the worship of the god Pan, who is said to guide shepherds and flocks. And it's also become a site where various Roman emperors have gone to erect temples to themselves to declare their own divinity. And so it's this place of great natural beauty and great idolatry, right? And so they come from Magdala, this place of great religious influence, into this place of idolatry to ask this very important question. Who do you say that I am? It's a question that couldn't be answered in the religious places, and yet here in this place of great idolatry, Simon is able to make this first statement of faith with such clarity about who Jesus is. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You have to understand that his statement of faith It's not just a confession about who Jesus is. It's also a statement about where he is putting his trust. He is standing in a place where people put their trust in other gods or they put their trust in the political figures of the time. And here Simon is saying, I put my trust in Jesus. He is talking about a man whom other people haven't been able to figure out yet. Right? The, the people of the day are talking about Jesus and, and equating him to, to dead prophets and, and people who are gone. But Simon is the first to say, you are the living God. You are not a dead emperor. You are not a powerless deity. You are not a dead prophet. You are a living God. You are the one who is alive. You are still moving and still working. And this confession of faith 
the way that Peter speaks about what he believes, it shapes his world. It prepares his heart because he makes this confession of faith that says, I believe God is always calling, always working, always equipping, always sending out. You are a living God. And because Simon can believe that with such conviction, when Jesus says, you're right, I am, and I am calling you, and I am preparing you, and I am sending you out, even though Simon, I'm sure, is quaking in his boots, he is prepared because he knows that this is within the character of God, that God is a living God in Jesus Christ who is still moving. And that conviction of faith, Jesus tells him, it, it, it will go on with not just Simon, but it will go on to shape this entire community of believers, to shape you and I, the church. This conviction that Simon has creates a community that has such power in Jesus Christ that Jesus is the that we will break down doors that cage people behind evil and death, and that we will have the power to break people into goodness and life. The way that Simon speaks about his faith, it matters. It matters. It has power. The way that Jesus talks about this, this verse I'm referencing about how the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against the church, um, it can be a little odd. And so the message puts it this way, and I, I love the way that the message translates this. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Can you all say expansive with energy? Expansive with energy. Right? That's, that is powerful. That is powerful. Jesus is saying here that his believers, the people who speak with the same conviction that Simon does, that we have the power, the energy, to go and break down the gates of hell that are keeping people in death and in evil. When we speak with conviction about how we have experienced Jesus, we join Jesus in a power that is so great that it has the opportunity to bring people back into life. We have before us today two models of faith. One is of these religious people in Magdala who know a lot about the faith but they lack conviction. And instead, what they are left with is an apathy that leaves them powerless. So on one hand, we have apathy. And then on the other hand, we have Simon. Simon who has such a great assurance. Simon who models conviction in his faith. These are, these are two examples before us of how we can choose to believe. And friends, how we speak matters. Because if we aren't clear about whom we believe in, then it's really hard to live in this model of faith, to live with conviction. If we aren't speaking with clarity, then it's hard to tap into that great power that Jesus is offering before us. 
And maybe yes, maybe we still come to church and we still do all the things that we're supposed to do, like the religious officials, but it's possible to do all of that and still live in ambiguity and still live in apathy. And that ambiguity, it saps us of the power that Jesus has offered us. The United Methodist Church, our, our mission statement, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we are a people who believe that when we dig deep and we are steeped in our faith and steeped in the conviction of who Jesus is, that we do indeed have the power to go out and transform the world. That is a grand power. It is a grand responsibility that has been offered to us, and it's exactly what Jesus is offering us when we have the courage to speak about our experience living with him. And that power to transform the world in faith, it doesn't just come because of who we are or because of the words that we say. It comes because the spirit of Jesus dwells within us. In the first week of the sermon series, Pastor Gina touched some on the way that Jesus renamed Simon as Peter, which means rock. And she talked about how Jesus had looked into Simon and called out of him that part of him that's made in the image of God, which for Simon is his steadfastness. Jesus affirms Simon. Right, as Simon makes this bold declaration of his faith, Jesus speaks back into him, yes, and I see this in you as well. And so too, when you have conviction in your faith, does Jesus affirm you? He looks inside you and calls out the best of who you are, that, that part of you that is the image of God, and he nurtures that and brings it to the forefront. And so when we embrace that part within us and speak from that place of goodness inside of us, we are calling upon the Spirit of God most high. And that gives us the power and the responsibility to transform the world. I don't want to glaze over the fact that this is this kind of risky work we're talking about. Simon took a big risk in making this statement of faith. Notice that once again, just like when Simon last week said, Lord, if it's you, command me to step out of the boat. Notice the rest of the disciples are once again quiet. Just like, just like that time when he was asked to step out into the water, Simon is taking a risk here in answering Jesus' question. Jesus hasn't made clear yet his identity. He says, flesh and blood have not told you this. He hasn't made a statement about who he is. And so Simon is risking looking like a fool in order to share his lived experience with Jesus. But because of the risk he takes and the conviction he has, Jesus uses him to shape the church and the world. And that same power that same power to shape the church, to shape the world, it is available to you and it is available to me today. In preparing for this sermon, when I was reading the scripture and, and I read about how Jesus asked Simon, who do you say that I am? I heard Jesus asking me the same question. 
And so immediately I went, I got this Jesus because I have been in Sunday school since I was knee high and I have gone to seminary. And so I know the answers to all the names of who Jesus are. And so here are just a few of them that came up for me. The bread and the life, the Lord, the way, the truth, the life, the vine and the branches, the Messiah, Emmanuel, the lamb, right? There are so many. And I bet that if we like opened another poll, you all would be able to fill just slides and slides with names that are by the book. But here's the thing, there was no risk in any of these names for me. They were technically true, but none of them spoke with conviction about how I have lived my life with Jesus. And so I dug a little deeper because I realized if I'm going to ask you all to do this work, I need to do it as well. And the thing is, is I want to live a life in power and conviction. I want to live a life knowing in whom I believe. And so when I dug a little deeper, here is what I came up with. You are the source of life abundant. For me, what this means is that God is the source of my joy, and I have experienced the great comfort of the Holy Spirit in my grief. And that's important to me. And when I hold those two things together in God... That, for me, is what it means to be truly alive. And Jesus is that source of being able to hold the two together. But I don't really want to dwell on that, because what's important today is not my conviction of faith, and honestly, my, it's not really important what Simon's conviction of faith is either. It's important what yours is. Who do you say that I am? If Jesus was standing before you today and asked you that question, how would you answer? Who do you say that I am? Could you offer a single sentence that declares your faith in him? Could you speak with conviction about the life that you have lived with Jesus? When you have the courage to claim your faith with conviction, it changes you, it has the power to change the world. Your statement of faith has power because it comes from your lived experience with Jesus. It comes from the spirit within you. No one else can speak to God in the way that you can. Your answer can and it should be different than mine. It should be different than Simon's because your relationship with Jesus is different. It is the same Jesus, but you know him differently than I do. And thank goodness you do. Because together we have a fuller picture of who he is. So do you believe in the grace of God more than anything? Speak it and let that grace shape the way that you look at the world. Do you know Jesus as the one who loves justice and righteousness? Then share that and let that truth move you to building justice in this community. Do you rely on the Spirit as your comforter in times of trouble? Then declare that and let the comfort that you know so well comfort those around you. Do you follow Jesus as the King of Kings? Well, proclaim that and let it challenge the powers that be in the world that would lay claim to our allegiances. How you speak about your faith matters because it will change in the way that you are ready to receive the Spirit of God.
your statement of faith, it matters. Who do you say that I am? I recognize that for many of you, you're going to maybe think about this today or maybe throughout the week, and you're going to be able to come up with an answer, and that is wonderful. I invite you to share it with conviction. We need to be a community who speaks our faith. But I also recognize that others of you, you might think on this today and for the week to come and maybe the weeks to come and not be able to come up with an answer. And that is okay. I want you to know that while you are figuring it out, you have a place here in the church. Belief is not a prerequisite for belonging. The other disciples, they don't speak their statement of faith the same day Simon does, and yet they are still part of the story of Jesus, and yet they still help him build the church. They have a place within the community. Our faith changes, it develops over time with Jesus, and that is good. And so I leave you today not with a neatly tied bow or with an answer to the question, but instead I leave you with the very same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am?